Hello, everybody. Welcome to Today in Space. I am your host, El Greco. Welcome. This week, we're celebrating Independence Day for the United States of America. Happy birthday, America. And uh, to all the Americans, enjoy your independence. Please, look at what you have and be happy for it. Enough of this anti-culture bullshit. I'm going to go on a rant in the beginning here because I've really, I mean, this is, this is the weekend to talk about it. There's, there's all this crap. I mean, in Boston, we recently had uh, someone dump, just, just do stupid things and they don't seem to understand that what we have here in America is so, it, it is the independence, the, the flag of the United States stands for freedom and liberty. And it's not something you're given. It's not something that, you know, oh, I've got my card of freedom. Here it is. Ooh, 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 ooh. No, it's something you have to earn and you have to fight for. And, you know, if you're probably asking, all right, where, where are you coming from? How, you know, where, where is this coming from? Well, for me, it's coming from the fact that I, I am Greek. And in Greece, it, right now, the people of Greece are hurting. They are hurting very badly. The banks have closed. It's basically the economic disaster everyone always dreamed of, but it's finally coming to fruition. You know, and Greek citizens can only take out 60 euro at a time out of their banks. They literally have no cash that they can actually use. They can't even use credit because the banks are closed. You've got You had an entire island that had tourists on it, and when the banks in Greece closed, everyone left. You know why? Because if they paid their bills, they wouldn't be able to get back home because they can't take money out. So when you're, in, when you're home this weekend, ask yourself, why, am I, why, do I have my, why do I have my freedom? What am I thankful for, for living in one of the greatest countries in the world. And for everyone else who wants to hate on it and everyone else who wants to talk about how we're doing things wrong and, oh, well, what does that mean if we do this? Concentrate on yourself. Concentrate on what you want to do, on what you want to make the world better. I've found my platform. This is it. This is talking about space, talking about, this is my genre, this is my filter. I will talk about plenty of other things. But I've limited myself to this. And yes, I do talk about some personal things here, but mostly I try and keep it to space. Don't touch on politics. It's because it's not this show. It has no place for that. But this... I could not do this if I was in Greece. If I was a Greek city. If I was not American and I was only Greek, I could not be doing this over there. So I am grateful that I have the freedom to do this. This right here, you listening to me, me talking to you, expressing myself, that is my freedom. I am so excited that I have the ability to do this with you, the listeners. And I love that you guys and girls love to listen. So please, this Independence Day, this weekend, number one, enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. Have a great time and be thankful for the independence that you have. And two, if you're up for it, think about what you can do to make 
the world around you better. You don't have to save the world. You don't have to save the planet. You don't have to do something that changes everything. Just make things better for what's around you. If everyone does that, then the people around them get better. And the people around them get motivated to do something better with their lives. And, and, and to just simple things like just saying hello to someone. I mean, I am amazed after traveling a little bit in the last few years, more than I ever have, at just how secluded Bostonians are and just people in New England. I get, I, I'm not going to blame New England. People in Boston are. You, you're shocked when someone wants to talk to you in a supermarket. Like, why is, this, why is this person talking to me? Because everyone just doesn't do that. But that's totally off topic. <laughs> what, what I'm really trying to say is just be a better person. And if you're listening to this show, you're probably not even part of the problem. But we can all do something a little bit better. And it's something little, little things. And just remember that when everyone starts talking shit about America and starts giving all this crap... They can only do that because they have the privilege of being here. This was any other country. They would not be able to do that crap. Unless they were part of a, a faction that was in power. That's it. That's it. So don't let those people run over you with their emotional baggage, with their all their stuff. Be strong and a good person. Being a good person doesn't mean you have to sit back and let these other people do what they do. Be strong. Be Americans. And kick some butt. Show the world. Show your neighbor. Show the person down the street that you're a strong, good person. Don't take shit from anybody. You're a fucking American. <laughs> but seriously, happy Independence Day to everybody. And enjoy your weekend. And, and just just be happy, people. Um, it's the end of my rant. Seven minutes, not bad. It's not bad. Uh, so, so today, we're going to talk about the SpaceX launch and uh, the CRS-7 mishap. We're going to go over all the details with that, what's available right now. Um, we're also going to talk about the asteroid day and... Um, some some other things at the end. So I hope you guys are ready for another Today in Space episode. Here we go. The weekly, the weekly update. update. All right. So first on the list is the CRS-7 mishap launch. So in case you missed it, last Sunday, June 28th in the late morning um, the Falcon 9 launched the CRS-7 resupply mission to the ISS and it exploded 139 seconds into flight uh, as the SpaceX launch update says I quote following a nominal liftoff the Falcon 9 experienced a problem shortly before first stage shutdown resulting in a loss of mission Preliminary analysis suggests the vehicle experienced an overpressure event in the upper stage liquid oxygen tank approximately 139 seconds into flight. Telemetry indicates first stage flight was nominal and that the Dragon remained healthy for some period of time following separation. Our teams are reviewing data to determine root cause and we will be able to provide more information following a thorough fault tree analysis. 
below is a link to the CRS7 post-launch, blah, 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 blah. So, uh, as you heard there, um, some stuff happened, and it exploded 139 seconds into flight. They don't necessarily know what it was because everything was fine leading up to it. Um, there is also a 55-minute uh, uh, post-launch, as I was saying there at the end, uh, briefing with SpaceX, NASA, and FAA um, representatives where they talk about what happened and went over all the details that they actually have. Um, to put it in short, um, just to recap again, um, the upper stage liquid oxygen tank had an overpressure event. So basically too much pressure and it exploded. Um, and it's, it's important to note here that uh, as the quotes I'm going to read in a second touch on, space travel is difficult. We're not meant to be there. <laughs> We're not meant to do this. And the way we get there, when done properly, works. And sometimes there's things that don't work right. I mean, how many of us have had days where you've got your things planned or you at least know what you're doing and then just some stupid bullshit gets in the way? It doesn't make any sense, but you have to deal with it. And you've got to get through it. And that's just what happened here. Nobody really knows what happened. All they know is that there was an overpressure event in the oxygen tank line. So as they do with space, a good space program does, is they figure out what happened so that the mistake can be prevented in the future. Because when the Falcon 9 starts taking astronauts and human beings, we don't want this to happen then. We want to make sure it doesn't happen again. Now, seeing as I missed the, the launch uh, on Sunday, uh, went on Twitter and I found some really good quotes from people that would have some kind of idea of what uh, a mishap like that uh, launch failures like people who are actually um, involved in the industry. I'm not going to take some random person's opinion and put it up there. So, the first quote we've got Scott Kelly, the if you're unfamiliar, the astronaut who is up on the ISS right now, uh, closing in on 100 days into the year in space. And Scott Kelly's quote is. Uh, watch Dragon launch from International Space Station. Sadly failed. Space is hard. Teams assess below. The thing that I found really fascinating about that is just the fact that he was watching the launch of the, the, the stuff he was going to use as resupply coming up and watching that thing explode because it exploded after the rocket had already made uh, max Q or the, ma the max aerodynamic pressure. It's, a, it's one of those step marks in, in launching into orbit. And uh, that's just, I, I can't even imagine what that would, that would be like. I mean, it's already incredible that you're already looking down at the Earth <laughs> from the station. But um, add to that, you know, seeing one explode and then seeing just the, the failure. Um, thought that was very interesting. And the picture that went along with it is incredible. Uh, next, two quotes from Elon Musk following the incident. Um, and I quote, Falcon 9 experienced a problem shortly before the first stage shutdown. We'll provide more info as soon as we review the data. 
So uh, that's the one thing I like about Elon Musk. Very good at, uh, especially when it comes to SpaceX and Tesla, his companies. Um, it's very short, to the point, doesn't, doesn't mess around. Uh, and it's one of the few people that actually will talk about and give you information. A lot of other companies, you're not going to get that. Um, the second quote is, there was an overpressure event in the upper stage liquid oxygen tank, as we already know. Data suggests counterintuitive cause. So basically, everything seemed like it was working, and something that doesn't make sense is probably the reason. Uh, or the, it's, not, it's not simple. That's a better way to say it, sorry. Totally, that was a weird way to say that. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, <laughs> it's not a plain issue. It's not going to be like, oh, B was the reason, or oh, number two was the. It's not like it's that wasn't the reason. Something. It's not the reason that the upper stage failed. Next is a quote from Phil Plate, or bad, bad astronomer on Twitter. This is a reminder that space travel is hard. You can have a long string of successes, but you cannot, must not, take it for granted. And it's a good reminder, especially given. Uh, that SpaceX has had a flawless record up until now with their resupply missions. And, you know, it's hitting again on the, the thing that space travel is hard. You know, it, it reminds me of Apollo 13. When, you know, in the, in, in the beginning when they're launching up and, you know, they're trying to go into space, nobody wants to pay attention because... Oh, you know, well, we've already done this before. This is this is uh, um, this is just procedure at this point. You know, it's like no, no, it's not. And and the only reason that they came and 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 the media coverage wanted to talk about it was when there was a tragedy. And this is unfortunately one of those events. You know, I've talked I've talked more this week with people about SpaceX and traveling in space than I have in other weeks and that's where we are right now with with space travel and just how how people talk about it the media likes tragedy and uh, there's nothing better than a than a rocket exploding to get people talking you know um, but those people talking about it and who finally come around to talking about space program are probably the same people going to be like oh well why why are we why are we paying for this? Why are we, when they will not pay attention otherwise. So don't listen to those people. I listen to these people. And that's it. <laughs> I kind of lost my point there. Anyways, uh, the final one is from Buzz Aldrin. And uh, this, we're just going to end on the quotes on this one because this wraps it up. I quote, the SpaceX launch failure is disappointing, but remember, rocket science is hard, so we try, try again, and again. That's it. So, to move on, uh, there's a really great uh, post from NASA on June 30th, a few days after the SpaceX event, the CRS-6 failure. And it's the most frequently asked questions. Did I say that? Probably. 
All right, so number one, what should I do if I find debris? Very simple, <laughs> contact SpaceX. And, uh, you know, there's a recovery at SpaceX.com. There's a, a number, and the, the idea behind this is because it's probably toxic and it's bad for your health. <laughs> so don't go collecting it because it's probably hazardous fuel connected to it. God knows what else burned up and attached itself to, you know, whatever debris you found. Just call them. <laughs> Let them take care of it. Um, number two, very simple. Is there an effort to survey the debris? Um, yes, SpaceX deployed their own vehicles after the incident to check out the area and recover any debris and they worked with the Coast Guard. Um, you know, it exploded over the ocean, so obviously uh, in the areas, I think it was around Georgia and uh, those beaches, they, they told people, please do not, if you see any debris, do not approach it. Call us, we'll take care of it. Um, and from what I've seen, they've done a very good job at that. Uh, was anybody hurt because of the incident? No, no one was hurt. And as I say here, all processes, protocol, and procedures were followed with respect to safety. So there you go. Uh, number four, um, is the crew of the ISS in any danger of running out of critical supplies? The answer is no. Um, the ISS and the Expedition 44 crew are in good shape in terms of supplies with adequate levels until at least October, even without the progress launch scheduled for July 3rd, which we'll talk a little bit more. And simply, the crew is in no danger. And I mean, one of the cool things, uh, looking at some of the videos, you know, they, they've gotten very good at recycling uh, their own supplies and, and using them the right way. You know, basically becoming good survivalists in space. I mean, they, they literally recycle pee for water. I know, I know, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy, but they've gotten really good at that. <laughs> so basically right now, you want to go into space, you will be drinking your pee. Um, it won't be pee. <laughs> it'll be recycled and it'll be cleaned out. But yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta find water somewhere. <laughs> There's no spring. There's no stream or well you can get from. Uh, let's see. Are there future opportunities for sending cargo to the ISS? Yes, there are several visiting vehicles that are traveling to the station uh, throughout the rest of the year. The next launch is a progress cargo launch from uh, the Russian space agency, Roscosmos, and that'll be July 3rd. Um, there's also going to be the next crew launch to help um, add the next three members to fill the six that are usually on the ISS. And that's going to be the uh, Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency's HTV-5 cargo spacecraft. So... Um, there's plenty of opportunities for them to resupply and make sure that they're in, in good shape. And then there's also, later this year, Orbital ATK, who had their incident, Orbcom 3, last October. They will be launching again with the Cygnus cargo spacecraft aboard the newly modified Atlas V rocket. So they fixed the problem that they had with the old, really old Russian rockets. And they've made their new, um, <laughs> their new additions. Um, and added something that, that already has a flight history, from what I've read. Uh, what kind of cargo was on the Dragon spacecraft? This is where it gets, you know, a little tough. Um, this is where the the sting from this mission really happened. Um, the cargo included science experiments, research equipment, crew provisions, and one of two 
the international docking adapters. And what is an international docking adapter? So the and and, and what does that do for the plans for future commercial crew uh, missions? So uh, the international docking adapter was intended to serve as a docking point for future U.S. commercial crew vehicles. One of two such devices NASA has planned to use for this purpose. While only one IDA is required to accommodate the commercial crew vehicles, NASA wants uh, to have two on board. Um, now, because they lost one in this flight, they have parts for a third. So they're, you know, they, they made spares, <laughs> thank goodness, um, because they prepare for these types of things. It's not, it's not a blind side. This, the vehicle blowing up is not like they didn't expect it. Like it was, oh my God, what are we going to do? They, they had plans already for this. They obviously didn't want that to happen, <laughs> but it did, and they have a plan B. Although I'm sure this is more like plan D, if not like M. Um, but they will do that. So the, the international docking adapter, go back to my first point, um, is going to be the new way that the new commercial crews will be able to hook up to the ISS. So, you know, they have uh, provisions on there for the Soyuz and for um, the, the Dragon and the other vehicles like the HTB-5. But for the new commercial crews, they, this ad new adapter would be for them. So, um, and, I, and I think that's so actually humans can go through, if I'm not mistaken. Like the, the one that's aboard now is for supplies, but uh, this new crew, this new international uh, docking adapter will be for the next stage commercial crew vehicles. Um, now how's, how does this affect the commercial crew program going forward? The good thing is it doesn't. Um, they, as they say here, we do not anticipate that it will affect the timeline for the commercial crew program, which of course, just to, to rehash it, the commercial crew program is, for, uh, is, is an initiative to get Americans, launching Americans off of American soil with American spacecraft. So we can end our uh, reliance on uh, Russian launch vehicles. Because right now, basically, we're playing, paying a high premium to send um, humans aboard Russian spacecraft. It's not that it's a bad thing. Obviously, we've, we've had good international relations with space travel with Russia. Just it is very expensive, and it doesn't make sense in the long term to pay that high premium. So we need to launch our own people with our own vehicles off of American soil because we lost that with the shuttle program, you know, which even though it didn't, it didn't harm NASA as far as their research because they do pretty much everything, it's, it's a blow to what people think NASA does because I can't tell you how many people come up and say, oh, you know, does NASA even exist anymore? It's like, really? Really? But that's... With the shuttle program gone, that's what people are. So this commercial crew program, commercial crew program, is the next thing that will get us going. And luckily, losing that international docking adapter did not harm that to get us by 2017 to go into space as Americans. Um, let's see. Um, more things. This will not. Uh, I'll just run through this quickly. This will not impact the next launch uh, for the crew to the International Space Station on July 22nd. 
Um, there's enough science, supplies, and food to be done uh, until then. Uh, unfortunately, you know, there was a lot of student experiments and just a lot of science that was lost in the explosion. Um, it is what it is, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a lesson to be learned. And hopefully, you know, to all the students involved that, that did lose um, their experiments, you know, take it, take it for what it is. Um, learn from it. Really, really learn from it and you'll be better for it because um, you'll have experienced that kind of um, failure. You know, it is. Everyone has failure. If someone says they've never failed, they're lying. You know, and I've learned most of my stuff through failure. Um, but you got to keep trying. So, you know, just keep, keep fighting. Keep, keep moving on and learn from it. Now, uh, one of the interesting things that I found that I definitely want to touch on before we move on to the next thing is who pays for all the stuff that was lost in the launch? Well, according to this, the seventh SpaceX commercial crew, uh, commercial resupply services mission contained NASA commercial and educational payloads. NASA does not carry insurance for its cargo, which I'm sure the assistant will find interesting, um, which makes sense. I mean, how are you going to have insurance for something that's not even close to 100% of happening, you know? Um, now, NASA is assessing the need and cost to replace the lost items, and the value and replacement strategies for non-NASA cargo are the purview of the entities that provided that cargo, which means if they were non-NASA, they have to foot the bill if they need to, um, if they want to, you know, relaunch, redo everything, and um, just, just so it's clear, I mean, they're definitely not blindsided by this. They knew that going in, that this is a possibility. Obviously, you don't want that to happen. But it, you're, you're not going into it thinking, oh, it's okay, this is going to happen. You know, you plan like it's not going to, but, you know, for them, hopefully, I, I hope, uh, I hope they, can, they can spring back and get on the next available mission. Um, I'm sure it'll be a little while before that happens, but, I mean, listen, this happened once to SpaceX. They, if I've done the math right and I've looked at the right data, they're still leading as far as success rate for uh, companies launching. So, yes, it's the thing that gets the media coverage, but they're still way ahead of the game as far as percentages go for successful launches. But just thought that was interesting. I didn't know that. So uh, now you know a little bit more of who has to pay when that stuff happens. Um, and the other thing, the last thing we'll touch on, is uh, more about the investigation, what they're going to do. Uh, this activity, so will there be an investigation was the question. And the answer is this activity was conducted under an FAA launch license and is being classified as a mishap. SpaceX will conduct the mishap investigation with FAA oversight. NASA will support both SpaceX and FAA as appropriate. So... Basically, SpaceX had a launch license from the FAA, so SpaceX will do the mishap investigation. The FAA will oversight, will, will overlook it, and uh, see that the investigation is going properly. And then NASA will be available to support both SpaceX and the FAA if they need it. So there you have it. And that concludes all the coverage here on the CRS-7 SpaceX mishap. All right, so next on the weekly update, we have 
what was deemed as Asteroid Day, June 30th, for those who are unaware. And this June 30th marked the anniversary of, not a good anniversary, but uh, of the 1908 Siberian Tunguska, I'm so bad at names, Tunguska, T-U-N-G-U-S-K-A event, which is the largest asteroid impact on Earth in recent history. And the reason for Asteroid Day is to spread awareness about um, basically what can we do to prevent an asteroid from wiping us out like the dinosaurs. Uh, if we go to asteroidday.org, uh, it has a little brief thing. What is Asteroid Day? Well, to quote the website, Asteroid Day is a global awareness movement where people from around the world come together to learn about asteroids and what we can do to protect our planet, our families, communities, and future generations. Asteroid Day will be held an anniversary uh, of the 1908, here we go again, Siberian Tunguska event, the largest asteroid impact on Earth in recent history. You can now sign the 100X Declaration Yourself. Uh, and it says here, the Asteroid Day 100X Declaration was signed by astronauts, scientists, Nobel, Nobel laureates, technologists, and artists. And, you know, the whole idea is, let's have a plan. Let's have a plan so that when one of these asteroids, which there's millions of them out there, let's figure out what we're going to do to prevent one from hitting us, uh, you know, um, Armageddon style. You know, we can't, or Deep Impact style. We can't have, you know, are we, the thing that'll prove we're smarter than dinosaurs, in my opinion, is <laughs> that we can prevent a fucking asteroid. You know, it's a pretty simple concept, and, uh, you know, we've seen, you know, there was another asteroid that exploded above ground in Russia not a few years back, and that was, that just exploded in the air. It wasn't even that big, and it did a good amount of damage. So the whole idea behind Asteroid Day is to spread the awareness that, yes, <laughs> this will happen eventually, so let's do it now. Let's let's start a plan now. What does that What does that mean? What does starting a plan mean? Like it's because the only plan really uh, that I've seen out there. Because I, I did an episode on this in the early days of today in space on asteroids, and really the only plan that seems <laughs> that's out there is to shoot a nuke at it, literally, almost Armageddon style. So it's like okay, we, we it's like we can't send Bruce Willis up there and have Aerosmith as a soundtrack. I mean, as awesome as that would sound, it's not going to work. We don't know if it's going to work, you know. So so then the next step is, all right, what's an easy way, <laughs> simple way to explain how do we prevent an asteroid impact? And the Planetary Society had a great post about this uh, the day after, uh, July 1st. Titled, Five Steps to Preventing Asteroid Impact, posted by Bruce Betts. So, <clears throat> basically, it's a, it's a five-step five step plan. Uh, very simple. Uh, find, track, characterize, deflect, and then collaborate slash educate. So, number one is easy, find. If we don't know where the damn thing is, how are we going to be able to prevent it? So, the idea is to... 
in the effort to prevent an asteroid attack, we need to be able to find these before they get too close. Um, but, you know, right now, there's, yes, there's a lot going on to help find the big ones, but the smaller ones that could still do devastation to different countries, different areas, we don't really know where they are. So, first step is we need to start finding them. Next is tracking them. So, very easily, if once we find it, how do we know how it's going to, do we know if it's going to hit us? Um, are you just going to be flailing your arms around all the time, worried about an asteroid hitting you? Um, so we need to track it. And so that means, uh, that means using a telescope and tracking it for not one day, not one month, but years, really. And that will help us figure out what the orbit is, and then we'll be able to figure out, okay, now we can predict where this asteroid is going to go. Um, so... Right now, we don't have, I guess what you would call sufficient, as the article says, sufficient observations. Um, sorry, excuse me. So, <laughs> we need to help start tracking them. Number three, characterize. So, basically, we need to start figuring out, there's a huge population of asteroids out there. We need to figure out what kinds of asteroids. There's definitely families of asteroids, you know, uh, categories. You can, um, you know, okay, it, will this one break up in the atmosphere or will this one come through the atmosphere because it's filled with something that's more dense and can withstand the incredible pressures and temperatures it's going to see going through the atmosphere? Um, is it, you know, let's just say we're going to bring a nuke up there, right? How do we know <laughs> that the damn drill in Armageddon is going to work if the thing that the asteroid is made of is harder than the thing you're going to be drilling with, you won't be <laughs> you won't be able to drill through it. So characterizing it is prob is next in line, and it might be one of the more important things because then we at least have an idea of what is out there. Now, before four is pretty easy deflect. Um, that is where we finally start getting to the point <laughs> where we have an idea on how we can prevent one of these from happening. And I, the, the deflect is, is, I think, the more scientific version to the Armageddon uh, <laughs> the movie um, way of, of getting an asteroid away. I've definitely seen uh, online, you can definitely search for it, but there's been some ideas where you set up these stations around Earth or just in our, in our solar system, in the, you know, the inner zone where the... the the terrestrial planets are, right? You basically set up these points where, let's say an asteroid were to come in, you can then put something that has mass out there, and then it will disturb the orbit of the thing coming in. And we don't have to do a lot. We really don't. It only needs to be done ahead of time and needs to be done the right amount. So, but you can't do that without being able to find them without being able to track them, and without being able to know what the asteroid is made of. Because then you're going to know how much you need to put there to create gravity. So that's why the first three are so important. Because without understanding all of that about the asteroid, then you can't deflect it. Or at least you can't deflect it without any <laughs> reasonable uh, amount of certainty. So deflecting will will be four, but it's, 
you know, there's there's a whole bunch of things. So what's what's some other things you can do? You can uh, you could attach rockets and pull it. Um, maybe a solar sail would maybe be the easiest if you could do it long enough in advance. Then you don't have to use fuel, and you know, you're okay. You could smack something into it and move it off. That's definitely a possibility. Um, you know, <laughs> there's other things here where uh, basically uh, using laser ablation, which would be vaporizing rock to create jets that push the asteroid. Like, crazy stuff. So basically using the asteroid and, and ablating or using ablation so that the rock vaporizes and then that vapor becomes the engine. <laughs> like just crazy stuff because that way we don't have to launch nukes into space. I mean, it's cool, but that has to be our last option. And right now, it's our only option. So, number five is coordinate and educate. And so, the whole idea, very simply, is to make sure that it's not... That, yes, if we're doing it, that's great. But this is not something that it's like, this is a U.S. thing, or this is a China thing, or this is a Russia thing, or this is a Greek thing, this or whatever. This is something that will affect everybody, because we all live in this planet. We all live in this rock. And if an asteroid comes in, everybody's going to want in to protect it. Nobody wants to get hit by an asteroid and die like the freaking dinosaurs. You know, this is something that affects everybody. And, you know, it's not, you know, everyone, you know, people, some people get in the, the act of just thinking, you know, oh, this is especially Boston people. It's my town, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, but you realize where a rock's spinning, so it's like, even though the asteroid might be coming in, it comes in a second later, it's not going to hit, you know, it could hit Boston, or it could hit New York, or even more, because the the spinning. It, it might not hit Boston, but it hits California, or instead of California, it hits China. You know, so this is, it's, it's like a roll of the dice on who it's going to hit, so everyone should be involved, and everyone should understand what we should be doing. So the whole idea, coordinate and educate, very simple. And, that, and it comes last because we've got to figure all this stuff out first. And then once we learn it, we need to spread that information so that everyone can be able to protect themselves and get involved. You know, there's no reason to block out people who have new ideas. It doesn't matter who you are. If you've got new ideas to this, come on. We, we need the, the more we can get, the more we can prevent this something like this, this asteroid impact that could have devastating things to us, to death, of, of not just, you know, an area, but the whole Earth. I mean, what is it? The dinosaurs, when that impact happened, right? The idea is, basically, they were at the top of the food chain, and boom, one asteroid. They didn't have a space program, man. Dinosaurs were rocking it, but they didn't have a space program, so they ended up losing in the end. So we need to figure out a plan. So that's what Asteroid Day is all about having some kind of plan instead of shooting freaking nukes at it. So if you want to get involved, you want to sign the petition, uh, I will be soon. I know, I haven't signed it yet either. Um, <laughs> just haven't had time to take uh, um, a real good look at it because I'm too busy with this. But asteroids, I've, I've done a lot of research in it already because part of the reason I started this show was from one of the early, I think the asteroids called Apophis, that basically... It passed us the first time, and that was the that was the first time we were going to find out whether it was going to, on its next pass, come by and hit us. And it did get inside that keyhole. 
think that's one of the first posts I ever did online about Today in Space was because of that. And it's like, uh, you're worried about what someone put on Facebook? I'm worried about the damn thing that's going to kill all of us. And nobody talked about it because it's like, all right, if we don't talk about it now, <laughs> we're going to be talking about it when it's looking at us. This <laughs> is coming in. And that's no good. That's no good, guys. So if you want to get involved, <laughs> go to asteroidday.org, sign the petition, um, the, the 100X Asteroid Declaration, and, and just get involved. Let's, let's start talking about it and coming up with ideas now before, dare I say it, it's too late. All right, and finally, the last piece for the weekly update, a huge congratulation to cosmonaut Gennady Padalka, who broke the record for the longest time any human being has spent in space. The previous record was 803 days, 9 hours, and 41 minutes. And this past week, Gennady Padalka has broken that record. And... It's just incredible. I mean, if if it, he he has literally lived longer in space than any other human. This isn't even a, a, a cosmonaut versus astronaut. Any human ever in human history, and it was barely talked about on regular media. I mean, in in the space community, yes, it was talked about very much, and there's a lot of congratulations. But uh, it's just something you're not going to hear on a daily. I mean, when when the year in space mission, when Expedition 43 launched, um, there was a lot of coverage on it because it was the year in space. We had an American astronaut. The first time an American astronaut was going to spend uh, a year in space. There was going to be a lot of great research, and it did get the coverage that I felt it deserved. But the fact that Kennedy was going to pass the record wasn't even touched in, in regular coverage. And so congratulations. He just did that. And... A uh, little information here. When he gets back, he will have spent 2.4 years in space across five different missions. That's a long time. And that's going to be extremely helpful in all the future studies on what negative effects happen in spaceflight on humans. Now, I, I hope there's some good effects, too. Um, you know, it's probably going to be something strange, like... Oh, I don't even know. Uh, I couldn't even tell you. But it'll, it'll probably be something weird that gets better if you're longer in space. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's going to be this. It's just huge congratulations for this guy. And I, and I wanted to bring it to the attention to everybody here because it's like, you know, this, this is just going to get pushed to the side. You're going to hear about how your neighbor or some friend you have on Facebook uh, got mad at somebody today. But you're not going to hear about the guy who today, this year spent the most time anyone ever has spent in space. I mean, I think that's amazing, and I'm sure you do too. You know, uh, it's uh, it's just incredible. And, you know, looking up even more, um, Gandhi Padalka has been involved in, especially this expedition series of missions. I mean, we're on 44 right now. Gandhi Padalka was picked as the commander for the Expedition Zero crew. I guess it was the so-called contingency crew, in 1999. So that's how long he's been involved, at least from, from what I had read. And he was picked to be commander of that mission. He's commander now of Expedition 44. And 
you know, he was on backup crew for Expedition 4 um, and Expedition 9. He actually went on Expedition 9. And it's just, it's huge congratulations. I, I really, I can't say enough. And um, just another <laughs> awesome thing in space happening that you probably wouldn't hear anywhere else. And that wraps up the weekly update for this week, July 2nd, 2015. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, happy Independence Day to all the Americans. Uh, everyone overseas, enjoy. Actually, anyone who's not an American, uh, enjoy your weekend too. And uh, just just keep chugging away, people. You know, keep keep doing what you're doing. Stay the course. Don't let uh, don't let bullshit get in your way. Uh, and just keep chugging away. We are gonna have some amazing stuff coming up next week. So. Next week's episode is going to be kind of a big deal. So um, uh, really look forward to that because we've got uh, not only that, but the next week after that, July 14th, New Horizons is passing Pluto, the Pluto system. We're finally getting there. And it's going to be the only time in a long time. I mean, this spacecraft has traveled 3 billion miles just to get there. So it's going to do the flyby and start sending us back some stuff. Uh, it just did the last, uh, um, what's the word, uh, debris avoidance, or just to make sure it's not going to hit anything. Um, that last check is okay. Made its final uh, adjustments, and it's on its way to Pluto. Pluto! Oh, I'm so excited. But we've got <laughs> we've got a lot coming up in the next week, so... Uh, just keep chugging away, people, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Today in Space. And in case you missed it, uh, we just put up the What is a Podcast page on the website. So go check that out. You'll be able to find out real quick what's a podcast, what's going on with that, how do you subscribe. There's click buttons. It's real easy. It's right there for you. Try to make it as easy as possible. It also tells you how you can get in touch with the show. It's all there, all available. And it's going to be up top on the page in the little announcement bar. Make it real easy. Just click that. It'll bring you right to that page. So I'm trying to make it as easy as possible for everybody involved. Uh, if it helps you, please let me know. There's a survey at the bottom of the page. Um, I am open to all suggestions. If you think something would be easier or if you think it's not good enough, just let me know because I want this page to be helpful. So uh, hit me up with that survey or with todayinspacepodcast at gmail.com. Either way, uh, have a great week, everybody. Enjoy yourself. Happy Independence Day, America. And spread the love. Spread science. Have a good weekend.
Uh, again, uh, if, if you haven't, tell somebody about the show. If you really like what we're doing here, please, I would, I would really, really appreciate that. And if you want to get in touch, there's todayinspace.net. You can email me at todayinspacepodcast at gmail.com, at El Greco, E-L-G-R-3-C-O, or the Today in Space podcast page on Facebook. Thank you, everybody. Spread the love. Spread science. Have a good week.